0: trees went out to name themselves a the king this, this is grace talks a production of martin, martin umc an open and inviting united, united methodist, methodist church Lord, in martin michigan a co-charge Lord, with Lord, shelbyville united methodist, methodist church, Lord, church which worships on Lord, sunday Lord, at 11 a.m martin worships church. sundays at 9 30 a.m and we would love to see you Will there you but the olive tree said should i stop making oil that i know's human beings Our scripture text today comes from Luke 11, verses 1 through 13. And Jesus was praying in a certain place, and after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us how to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us and do not bring us to the time of trial. And he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and you go to him at midnight and you say to him, friend, lend me three loaves of bread for a friend of mine has arrived and I have nothing to set before him. And he answers from within, don't bother me, the door's been locked, my children are in bed, I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything, because it is his friend, at least because of his persistence, he will get up and give him whatever he needs. And so I say to you, ask and it will be given you, search and you will find, knock and the door will be opened, for everyone who asks receives, and everyone who searches finds, and for everyone who knocks the door will be opened. Is there anyone, is there anyone among you, if your child asks for a fish, would give him a snake instead? Or if the child asks for an egg, would you give him a scorpion instead? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing to you, God, our Lord and Savior. So there are a number of themes that run the span of Scripture, even despite the hundreds of writers, the hundreds of editors, the thousands of years that the books span, there are themes that are present right from the beginning to the very end. There are themes like that of election, God raising people up. There are themes like redemption and reconciliation, forgiveness and grace. And then we have themes like justice and equity. Themes which have meanings meanings for us today that we might not always be comfortable with because maybe they ask something of us. Maybe they ask us to live differently. Maybe they ask people in the world to live differently. So in today's case, we have the concept of contentedness, the concept of enough. We find this theme running through the course of Scripture. The Lord's Prayer is not the exception. When Jesus teaches the disciples to pray, he's commenting On what it is that we are to request, how it is that we are to speak to God, what our ethic of forgiveness and love looks like. He's commenting on what we are told to expect of God and each other. He provides a theme and an ethic which is no different from the rest of his ethic and the rest of his teaching. Jesus teaches his disciples to pray for their daily bread, but what's more, he's teaching each person to pray for our daily bread. The words he speaks are not individual, they are communal. Give us this day our daily bread. It's the bread of society, it's the bread of our neighbor. He's telling us to persist in asking for what we need from those who, who have enough to give. The thing about enough, the thing about contentedness is that it doesn't just happen. The concept of enough requires something of each person. As Paul wrote in Second Corinthians, Your abundance, your abundance is for the poor's lack, so that one day. Stepping back. Your abundance is for the poor's lack so that their abundance might one day be for your lack in order that there might be equality. Prayer requires action. It requires a new way of living. It requires a cell phone, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) If we pray for something... If we pray for something but we don't do something to make it happen, at least when it's something that we have control over, then our prayers are essentially meaningless. If we pray for good grades, but if we don't apply, we don't pass. If we pray for a full field but we never plant, then we don't harvest. As Pope Francis said it in another way, you pray for the hungry, and then you feed them. That's how prayer works. And so the Lord's Prayer serves us as a direction for how we are to live, how we are to treat other people, how we are to ask for God's blessing and care on our lives. We forgive sins as we forgive debts, as we pray that ours would be forgiven. We pray for this day, our daily bread, and not for tomorrow's. We pray for this day's bread. Not so that we can store up stockpiles of food or money for tomorrow, but so instead we might live out our faith and we might learn to trust in God and trust in our neighbor. And so, as I said, we find this concept of enough all throughout Scripture. When the Israelites wander the wilderness for 40 years, they are provided with manna and quail in the wilderness. If we look at Exodus 16, we find the story where the people are grumbling against God and against Moses because from their eyes they've been led into the wilderness to starve. And so, in turn, amidst their mumbling... Amidst their persistence, God provides them with all they could ever want or need, but here's the trick. He tells them to only take what they have need of for the day. Anything else, any excess, any extra, any abundance is going to go to waste. But of course, some people ignore that. And they, they bury some away, they stash it away so that they can have it for when they get hungry and they need a snack later. But when they come back, they find that the food has become rotten, it's become filled with maggots. Another source, this time the book of Leviticus, chapter 25, lays out the year of Jubilee. Jubilee was a 50-year festival. It was a time when the people were to cancel debts and return the land that had been purchased to free slaves, to let the land lay fallow and instead to only take the food from the food that grew naturally in the untended fields. The prescriptions of Jubilee go on to say that the land is to never be sold permanently because how can any person own what the Lord has provided freely? In short, the year of jubilee communicates the same message. Embrace enough. All throughout Jesus' ministry and parables and teachings, this ethic holds true. Take what you need. Give what you can, especially when you have extra. Don't cling on to your extra and say that it is your enough. Which should cause us to pause and wonder... What is the excess in my life? What is the abundance that I hold on to rather than share? When we look at the world around us, we might realize that so many of the problems that we have come down to the issue of excess, the issue of want. The problem with the world is that we want and we want and we want, and never will our hearts be filled which might be fine if not for some who gain the power and then declare that their excess, that their abundance is actually there enough. That their abundance is there enough and that someone else's enough, or worse, someone else's lack is actually an excess. A practical example. Take the McDonald's or Walmart CEO's who claim tens of millions of dollars a year in salary, all while claiming the employees who want $15 an hour are the ones who are greedy. Or for another example, take an unnamed CEO who thinks that the only thing he can do with his $131 billion is invest in space travel all while ignoring the conditions of workers who work in windowless, air-conditionless factory who struggle to cover basic medical expenses. When we look at the world around us, we see a hungry and a broken world, a world of injustice and inequality, a world in need of a savior. We turn on the news and we see our hungry neighbor in some distant country or even in our own neighborhoods. We walk out the door into our cities and we're confronted by the homeless who beg for scraps. We sit at our own food pantry or at the VA or at a soup kitchen with those who are threatened with their food stamps being taken away because somehow in a country where we can budget $700 billion for the military, Food stamps are the problem. Or we sit in a cafeteria of our own schools where kids are threatened with hunger or even foster care if they can't pay their lunch money. How many of us know the feeling of putting money in our own checking account only to watch it vanish faster than we can budget for it? How many of us hold debt that we never hope to pay off? People like me and so many others sit under the weight of a debt we never hope to pay off because, in all likelihood, we never will. In the U.S., we hold an estimated $1.7 trillion in student loan debt. Those in abundance claim more keep claiming their abundance, which is built on the backs of those in need. And they claim it's enough. The thing about all this is that when we pay attention, we begin to realize that the problems that we have are solvable. We realize that, hey, we already have a Savior. Jesus gave us a gospel which is relevant to this. Believe it or not, Jesus came to save us from this as much as he came to save our souls. When it comes to food, we have enough food in the world to feed 10 billion people. And yet, according to some studies, we waste anywhere from 30 to 40% of it. We aren't called to be jealous of someone else's enough. We aren't to simply want to trade places to let ourselves sit on top for a while. No, we are to hold each other accountable. We are to be willing and able to recognize that when someone with $131 billion says the only thing they can think to do with that money is blasted into space, maybe there's something wrong. In Jesus' rhetorical question following the example of prayer, he describes a scenario of a friend asking someone for aid. And it's because of the persistence of the person knocking at the door, or as another translation puts it, the shameless audacity of the one who's knocking and asking the one in abundance is willing to give. (laughs) I don't know about you, brothers and sisters, but we need some shameless audacity on the part of the least of these. When someone is starving... And yet their own CEO sits in abundance, claiming their excess is there enough. We need some shameless audacity. We need a longer table with more room for people to sit comfortably. The Lord's Prayer teaches us that we know how we are to pray. We are not to pray for excess. We are not to pray for abundance. We are to pray for sustenance. We are to pray for enough. We're not supposed to pray to win the lottery or get a new Lamborghini. We're to pray for what we need. We're to pray for what our neighbors need. We're to pray for the forgiveness of debts as we forgive our debtors. We're to pray for our neighbors to be fed. We're to pray that those in abundance might recognize their excess and learn to find contentment in enough. And so imagine, if you will, imagine a world where those who have much give freely to those who have little where a government will serve life, serve the least of these, instead of serving power and property and those who hold it. Imagine a world where powers and principalities give not out of their own self-interest, but out of a genuine care and love for others. Imagine a world where we give each other fish instead of snakes, eggs instead of scorpions, a world where our debts are forgiven as we forgive the debts of others. Imagine a world where jubilee is declared, where debts are erased, where land is freed from ownership, where the fields and the seas and the resources of the earth are given the time they need to rest and can be redistributed and shared so that equality and equity might be found on earth as it is in heaven.